Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Matthew chapter 5 verses 17. One to three, let's go. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Somebody say amen. Now, religion is a spirit. Religion is not a state. Religion is not an institution, X or Y. Religion is a what? It's a spirit. You understand? It is the spirit that tends to deliberately take a man back to bondage because of what he doesn't know. Because he knows that when you know the truth, the truth makes you free. Praise God. That's what religion prefix re, taking back religion to bondage, right? Now, the Bible speaks of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the legal people, the law fellows, which preach the law. He says, woe unto you, Matthew 20, 23, you scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted, listen, the weightier matters of the law, comma, judgment, comma, mercy, comma, and faith. And he says, and this all ye do have done and not to leave the other undone. In other words, the spirit of religion leaves out the weightier issues. The weightier issues of the gospel. And once the weightier issues of the gospel are left out, the gospel becomes a light experience. It becomes something not worth expediting. Because in its own, it does not give the man the hunger to search out for what is weighty. The word of God is a weight. You understand? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a weight. And that's what translates to the glory of God upon your life. Somebody say amen. amen. The Amplified says, War unto you, scribes and Pharisees, and pretend as hypocrites, for you give a tenth of your meat and deal and come in, and have neglected or omitted the weightier, more important matters of the law, right and justice and mercy and fidelity. He says, this ye ought particularly to have done without neglecting the other. But they leave out the weightier issues. In the gospel, there are things that are weightier than the others. Even when you read the Bible and you are exposed to the spirit of truth, you realize that certain truths are weightier than the others. You remember when Jesus was talking about the eunuchs? He says, they are eunuchs which are made of God. From their mother's womb, they are eunuchs which are made of men. And they are eunuchs which have made themselves for the sake of the kingdom. The last line says, he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Now, many people ignore that statement, but it is so big. In other words, there are people who can't receive certain things. It's not that they are not available for them to receive, but they are too heavy for them to receive. I can do a demonstration right now, and it would become too heavy for you to receive. In the sense... That it does not appeal to your understanding, your doctrine, your dogma, so to speak. Some people, they don't observe to know that when the Bible says that there are differences of administration, the same Lord. There are diversities of operation, but the same Lord. God can give different gifts. For example, the gift of healing. And then in the gift of healing, he gives a diversity of administration. And in that, he also gives a diversity of operation. So some people operate differently, administer differently, and work differently by the same spirit. And as you advance in the things of God, you realize the same things can come quicker if you're not static. Because some people became static on what was revealed to them, forgetting that the gospel is progressive. And because of that, they settled on what they know has to be working. And then they froze there. You understand what I'm saying? And they never attempt to go deeper than that. Are we together, church? It's like, I'll give you an example. If I have anointing oil, I can heal. Right? 
The Bible says, if any among you is sick, let him come to the elders. They say, lay, anoint him with oil and pray for him, and the sins shall be forgiven, and they shall be healed. This is a scripture. Somebody can claim and say, to get healing out of somebody, I must pour anointing oil. And that's okay. But if I don't have anointing oil, does that mean that I don't heal the sick? But do you know that some people got stuck in the anointing oil, it became a monument in their life. If they don't use anointing oil, or if the spirit becomes more stronger, then they get what? They get anointing oil and say, this one, I think... This kind <laughs> goeth not away except by anointing oil. <laughs> Hallelujah. No, it's your level of revelation. It's what's given to you. But it's not the limitation of how much can be given to you. Come on, can I say it again? What you received is not the last of it. You can increase it. Some people think, ah, no, that's it. Me, God called me to do this and that's it. I'll forever be doing that. No, 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 no. He says when it comes to his kingdom, there is increase and the peace thereof. You see, you have to position yourself in a way of understanding that I can be a different thing tomorrow morning than I was today. Some people think, ah, God graced that one. For me, I'm not under that. I feel God didn't call me in that dimension. Oh, God, how lucky is this guy? You understand what I'm trying to tell you? Some guy tried to bring a political line on the same understanding. He came to Jesus and told me, oh, how blessed are the breasts which you suckled and the woman which begat you. You understand? And Jesus told the guy, boss, it's not about my mother. It's about whoever believes. Even Mary, at a particular point, had to believe. He says, it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the pups which thou hast sucked. But he said, ye rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Don't bring familiarity here. <laughs> Give me the message. He said, while he was saying this thing, some woman lifted up above the mom of the crowd and said, Blessed the womb that carried you and the breasts at which you nursed. And Jesus commented, even more blessed, listen, are those... <laughs> Who hear God's word and guard it with their lives. So, somebody was trying to attach a doctrine around the mama. Right? Now to some people, she's the way. Pray for us sinners. <laughs> Listen, he said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No man. Listen. No man, but it's his mother. Listen, no man. But what if they wanted to approach you? Don't they go through your mother? Yes, it's me. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Jesus. You understand? No man goes to the Father except by me. And if you have been using a certain woman to access the Father, I pity thee. Hallelujah. Somebody said Chikola. Now listen, so we have a situation here. Somebody tried to make the gospel familiar with the relationship the man had with his mother. Such that certain people can be disqualified because of that relationship. You understand? It's likened to a situation where some people say that that man is anointed because he was seated under pastor so-and-so, or apostle so-and-so, or prophet so-and-so. Listen, whether you sat under him or you didn't sit under him, there is something above the apostle. It's called the word of God. Mary, too, even after begetting the boy, she had to also believe on her own. Otherwise, if she had said, ah, it's me who produced you now, really. Heaven, eh? You understand? There would have been what? Trouble. And you know how many people are missing out on the glorious blessing of God and the anointing that comes with that because they think that they have to access somebody. You understand? Sometimes yes, but sometimes no. Praise the Lord. God is not static. He's a dynamic God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. He can walk through a man what he can walk through a tree. Even a stone can praise him. So you don't limit God. Hallelujah. And he says something that probably opens my eyes to the biggest picture I have seen in the gospel. He says, if a man heareth the word of God, he that cometh from the Lord speaketh the words of God. And to that man, the Bible says, is given an anointing without measure. Do you know what that means? 
He says, for he whom God has sent, were you sent of God? Answer me. Were you sent of God? Speaketh the words of God. Do you speak the words of God? And he says, for God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. The more the word, the more the anointing. Eh? You didn't get it. The more the word you put in your spirit, the more the anointing. Praise God. I was dealing with a case a few days ago, and somebody said, oh, but Apostle Minga, I've listened. I've listened, Apostle, but I've got, I don't see nothing. And I told her, see, that's why you will never see anything. Why? Because you've just disqualified all your listening for having brought you to a place where you can still attest that nothing has taken place in your spirit. And sister, on that note, I can't help you. See, I tell people there's a stage called incubation period. The egg is under the right temperature, but it's not moving. It does not mean that inside something is not happening. But some people look at the egg and then nothing happens and then they get it out of the temperature by wrong confession. They get it out of temperature by the wrong thoughts. They get it out of temperature by looking at the things that are outside, which are temporal. And say, ah, I've prayed, I believe this, nothing happens. The moment you did that, you've disqualified all the 10 years of faith. All your 10 years of faith. You've gotten them by one thread of ignorance and then put them aside. And that means that for a fact you didn't believe. You never really believed. When we believe, you stay in the atmosphere. You might not feel it, but stay in it. Stay in it. The Bible says if you give yourself holy, meditate on these things. And say, give yourself holy to them. Some people just give and they don't meditate. Some meditate, they don't give. Meditate and give yourself holy. The Bible says that that profiting may appear to all. If you want God to show people that you're profiting, start to meditate on these things and don't give up on them. Yes, there are instances where everything might go south and different from what you expected. That's okay. Maintain your confession. He says that we are made partakers of Christ. The word there for Christ is the anointing. He says we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence up to the end. That's how we protect the anointing. He says we're made partakers of Christ. He didn't say Jesus. He said Christ. And Christ is the anointed one, not the anointing. So we partake. We share in the anointing. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast, the Amplified says we have become fellows with Christ the Messiah and share in all he has for us. If we only hold our first newborn confidence and original assured expectation in virtue of which we are believers, firm and unshaken till the end. When you stick on it, works. But some people, small situations come in and say, ah, okay, now I'm tired of believing. And then they're always like this. They're up and about. They're up and about. And then somebody believes for 20 years. And then the 21st year, they come and tell you, Apostle, me, I don't know what is wrong with me. Who told you there's something wrong with you? You're getting the egg out of the what? The temperature. Put it back. Shut up. There's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. See, it's a good thing that Jesus left. I say, Jesus. Is it different between Jesus and the Christ? <laughs> I mean in ministration. In person, they are one, but in ministration, they are different. Hallelujah. That is why the Bible doesn't say that in the olden culture, in the olden times, the spirit of Jesus. No, it wasn't the spirit of Jesus. It was called the spirit of Christ. Jesus was his earthly name. The Christ was his heavenly testimony. Hallelujah. That is why when he asked them, who do you think I am? Peter said, you are the Christ of God. And he says, flesh and blood reveal this not. I love the way Luke said, you are the Christ of God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. The Christ. He called him the Christ. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the body that is left on the cross. The Christ is the spirit that descends in hell. Makes a public spectacle. Triumphing over all of them. That is the spirit which is at work within you. He's called the Spirit of Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. So somebody comes and says, after 20 years of confessing the right thing, so it's likened to the other guys which plant the seed. You remember the scripture speaking of that? He says, in the same way, the ones sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word, at once they do what? What do they do? I receive it in the name of Jesus. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> yeah? And the Bible says, and what? And accept and welcome it with what? With joy. They give you a high five and say, Apostle, today. And there are people who make me laugh. Sometimes they say, ever since you've preached this someone? Then after like a few weeks, they say, now this one. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So he says, they hear the word, receive it, accept, and welcome it with joy. And then the Bible says, and they have no real root in themselves, and so they endure for a little while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately are offended. They become displeased, indignant, resentful, and they stumble and fall away. But why did the temptation come? It came because of the word in them. But because they're not rooted, let me tell you, you have to get to a place where you're rooted. Where nothing shakes you. Even if they say what, you stay rooted. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where nothing shakes you. Situation will come, you look at it and say, boss, I am bigger than you. You move on. That's keeping the egg in the right temperature. Hallelujah. So, religion leaves out weightier issues. So when Jesus told them, if you are able, receive it. It meant that there are certain things you assume are receivable, yet they are not receivable by certain individual because of the magnitudes of their implication. It's like when he says that there are some eunuchs which are made of men. It means you have to serve a man of God. And some of you can't, honestly. The spirit on you can't serve a man of God. You can't. It's not in you to receive it. It takes too much humility to serve a man of God. Some of you just want to be associate pastors, not sons. You want salaries, not an inheritance. Eh? Okay. Back to the point. So, there are weightier issues. Now, somebody one time said, I hear people saying that Jesus came to remove the law. But if you read Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, in his own words, think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. That means Jesus didn't come to take away the law. He came to fulfill it. But you guys, when you're preaching, you're preaching as though Jesus came to take it away. Have you heard that? Listen, when a man leaves out the weightier issues, they're given easily to the spirit of error. You understand? Apostasy is not speaking the opposite of the truth. Apostasy sometimes is simply diverting off the truth a little. It's enough for apostasy. If you're drawing two lines and they're just a few dots different from each other, they might not seem so different if you're seen from a distance. But as time goes on, they continue to what? To widen out. And that's how certain people are. They're continuing on the wrong route. They're near truth, but they're not there yet. They're near truth, but they're not there yet. They're near truth, but they're not there yet. I want to show you something very powerful. When you're dealing with the weights, right? It means you understand, firstly, the mind of the spirit before you read into context. Because when you read into context without understanding the mind of the spirit, your eyes are flawed. Let me tell you what God does. God does not get you born again and then he teaches you the word. No. He gets you born again and again gives you the whole word. Then you live a whole lifetime of Christianity receiving explanations of what you received. Let me qualify this. Number one, the word in its own nature is you. The Bible says you're born of the incorruptible, born, born of the incorruptible seed, which is the word of God and liveth and abideth forever. You're born of the word, right? Number two, the Bible says the word is nigh thee. It is in your mouth. When you receive Jesus, he is the word. You cannot say that I have Jesus and I don't have logos. You carry logos, Right? That is why counsel in the heart of man is as deep waters, but only the man with understanding can draw it out. So the essence of teaching you is to give you understanding and skill. Because some people have the substance, but they don't carry the skill. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance there, the Greek word is material. You carry the material of a cloth, but you don't have the skill to make the cloth. Right? And that is why the Bible speaks of the skillful use of the word of God and the unskillful use of the word of God. It says that some which understand not righteousness, the Bible says they're unskillful in the word of righteousness. That means that the word of God has to be handled under a particular skill because skill is what gives the idea to draw the picture of the substance you carry. It's all faith to get a job, to get a car, to get married, to do ministry. All of it is faith. But the skill to forge out what you want. Praise the Lord. Now, you carry the measure of faith. So the Bible says, 
each one of us, the Bible says, to each one of us has been given the measure of faith. For he has say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man, the, not I, the measure of faith. Somebody doesn't have a special faith from you. We all carry the measure of faith. We carry the substance of the things we hope for, the evidence of the things we don't see. But the skill to get this thing, make it done, to deliver it from one place, and then interpret it and create the story of what we see. That's what we preach. You carry the word of God in the inside of you. What we're doing right now is explaining to you what is inside you. So you say, ah, this is it. And then you receive skill. And then you make it happen. That's the essence of the word. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. I receive skill. That's why when it got to the men which were unskillful in the word of righteousness, they say he's a babe. The Amplified says this. He says, for everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced and unskilled in the doctrine of righteousness, of conformity to the divine will of purpose, thought, and action. Listen, for he is a mere infant, not able to talk yet. It doesn't mean that you don't pray, but to God you're not communicating. You're like in the prince saying, but you see, you see the Christian doing like, Moshokopala. Father, Father, in the name of Jesus. And how do I know you don't have results? You don't have results. You're praying, but you don't have results. You've been on prayer mountain. Your lips have dried up. You don't have results. You've gone to apostles. They prayed. Teachers taught. Prophets prophesied. Why? No results. Why? Because you're a babe, you're unable to speak. You're not communicating. You understand what I'm saying? So when you have a baby at home, and all they do is, ah, you also get the baby and say, ah, that's how God is with some Christians. They jump. Then they dream flying. Kumbe, they are being carried. Isn't the word wonderful? <laughs> Praise God. I'll give you an example. You remember the scripture? Walk out your salvation in fear and in trembling. Then everyone starts to tremble and fear to make salvation. You remember? And the weightier issue, for it is God. The next line, for it is God. Religion knows the moment it brings for it is God. It's going to disqualify the ability of any man. And it says, for it is God. That's the next line. Let me tell you, religion leaves out the weight here. If there are two entities swinging between the pendulum, you see, the number two represents more of a dispensation of the dual revelation of a transition of one life into a better life, okay? You understand what I'm trying to say? Now, in this instance, if you're dealing with the scriptures, you realize that some scriptures swing on a pendulum of a lighter truth into a heavier truth, right? Lighter truth into a heavier truth. There's a dual sense in the writing of the things of the scriptures. And this I saw a few years ago. It opened my eyes too much. And what religion does is it picks out the lighter sense and leaves out the weightier because the weightier presents Christ. The lighter casts to Christ. The second explains what has been cast. The first one gives light. The second one explains it. So you see, walk out your salvation in fear and in trembling. That's what it says. And everyone says, ah, so you guys, you have to fear. But then the next line was going to explain how you work out that salvation. He says, for it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do according to his pleasure. So if a man didn't see that line, he would start working out and then leave God out. You see that? It's the same thing in Matthew. Well, we're reading. He says, I'm not come to destroy the law or the prophets, but fulfill. He even said it twice, but they leave out the weight here. What does the next line say? The next line say, listen, for verily I say unto you, right? Till heaven, now let's reason together. Till heaven and earth pass, no one or one title shall in no wise pass from the law until it is fulfilled. Grammar. I don't come to destroy it. I came to fulfill it. None of this law can pass away, except it is fulfilled. So why did you come to do? You came to fulfill. So what does a fulfillment do? 
What does the fulfillment do? He taketh away. Okay, now somebody says, oh, so then not, why did Jesus write these two things? I'll explain why. He meant to say, I did not come to destroy it just for the sake of destroying it. Some people think he just came to say, I've taken away the law. But then the ultimate question would be, what's the option you're giving? So Jesus is saying, I just didn't come to just take it away. No, I came to fulfill it, to give it its rightful send-off, not just to destroy it. He didn't just come to say, bang, the law is destroyed. No, he came to give it its rightful what? Send-off. And the rightful send-off was fulfilling it. Remember, he says, none of this shall be taken away. None of the title shall in no wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. So that means if it is fulfilled, what happens? It's taken away. Then they say, eh, this man said that the law was taken away. Let me tell you your fear, your real fear. When a man has exercised the law for so long, they tend to think it's the only way they can walk right. I'll give you an example. Tomorrow morning, if you woke up and removed the traffic lights of one year right away, what would people say? Ah, you see. Now, which fool? Yeah, shake their head a little. Remove the lights of Wandegea. Because they were put there to curb jam, isn't it? So someone might say that the only way to curb jam is putting traffic lights. And I might say too that there is another way to deal with jam without necessarily using traffic lights. The government can wake up and make a deliberate program that can make even the lights obsolete. It's possible. Why? Because there was even a time people thought it was impossible to have lights on the streets. They never even had the idea that it was possible. People never think outside the box. They always think in the box. What's possible to their thought they think is the only possible way. But wisdom, the Bible says, is a mother of all inventions. Any invention in this world is Sophia. And we carry, that's why I believe Christians are supposed to be on top of even innovation, invention, etc. To mention, but if you say it's mine, receive it now. With joy. Let's <laughs> go. Hallelujah. I'll give you an example. What if I got 500 people in Wandegea right now, and each one of them just decided to give the other way? Just decided. They reach the road and say, you know what? Pass. You see? Traffic lights were put there because they didn't believe some people would give way. They were for some of you. You understand? They were there to curb patience and to give a certain order. But people can coordinate their minds and say, look, you pass. And they pass. You look at sometimes the way jam comes in Kampala. Somebody comes in the middle, another one comes from this side, and then in your head you think, okay, if this dude reversed, this whole line would be free. But he doesn't have the brain too. But me, I have it. You see? Are you seeing what I'm saying? So, if I was in his position, what I was supposed to do was to reverse a little, let the guys pass. But no, the guy is out of time. He squeezes himself there. Are you seeing what I'm saying? And you tell a guy, man, reverse. And he says, no, you reverse. And you're like, reverse. He says, no, you reverse. Do you understand what I'm saying? But if two people can agree, there wouldn't be jam in the first place. You might not believe it, but it's true. Some people think that you must have a law to curb people from doing the wrong thing. Let me tell you, there are many people in this world who don't need to be told not to do, so they don't do. They have a conscience that is too alive not to do without any law. And some are not even born again. Do you understand what I'm saying? But this is the fear of the people which are under the law. They think that the moment the law leaves you, pwah! You are dead. Because now you won't, you see? Because they deal with a new creature like they are dealing with an Old Testament creature. Let me show you something. Paul said, for I was alive once without the law. Imagine, I was alive once without the law. Read it. He says, I was alive without the law once. There was a time he was not under the law, but he was alive unto God. Some people think the moment the law is taken away, now some people say, oh, when you remove the law, it becomes a lawless society. No. It's because you have a corruptible seed. 
or you have not yet understood that you're born of an incorruptible seed. The seed of God can't take advantage of the absence of the law to become lawless. That's not what Jesus died for. But they assume that when you say the law is away, they say, ah, oh, means he's saying. No, it's their minds. It's not yours. Let them suffer with it. And none of them really listen. They don't listen to you. No. They just hear a rumor. Ah, he's I, I here. <laughs> you see? But they don't listen. He says, for us alive without the law. But when the commandment came, what happened? Sin revived and I died. He was alive without the law. But when the law came, boom, sin came up and you revived. The presence of the law is the revival of sin. If you want to bring revival of sin in the church, bring the law. Don't steal. Someone will get a hundred reasons. That's why the Bible says that sin taking of occasion of the law. That's why the Bible says sin taking occasion of the law. It created in me all manner of concupiscence. Read in the Amplified. He says, but sin, finding opportunity in the what? To what? To express itself. Hold a bit. Sin was dormant. So it started to look for the opportunity to express itself. When the commandment came, he says, in the commandment to express itself, what did it do? It got a hold on me. And what? Aroused and stimulated all kinds of forbidden desires, lust, covetousness. For without the law, sin is dead. Listen, the sense of it is inactive and a lifeless thing. And they don't read the Bible. They don't read the Bible. They don't read the Bible. People are struggling because they don't read the Bible. The moment sin saw the law, don't steal, it entered it to express itself and created in a man, stimulated into that man, all manner of evil desire, all kinds of forbidden desire. They come up. But because men, and I want you to listen to this, do not have a full understanding of the working of the grace of God, many of the words, the virtues in the scriptures are misunderstood and taken the wrong way. And that is why they fail to live it. For example, if you talk about holiness, men cannot understand the integrity of worship. So when you present holiness on a table, they start to look at it as a duty. Why? Because the opposite of that duty is that desire inside them saying, I want it, but let me try to be holy. I need it, but let me try to be holy. I'm burning, but let me arrest it. You see, they're always fighting between what they feel inside them and what they have to do as duty. And that is why when you talk about holiness, they cannot worship him in the beauty of holiness. Holiness is not beauty, it is duty. They don't see the beauty in holiness because their pleasures are opposite of what the duty demands of them. Why? Because the law is present. And when the law continues to be present, it arouses in them all manner of forbidden desires. So they're trying to by duty obey what they desire to have. It's in desire to have it, but they are trying not to have it by duty. So they beat themselves, I will not do it. And then they glory and saying, I didn't do it, but inside there. <laughs> Jesus even took it to a higher level. He says, look, you who think, oh, I did this, no. Even if you look at a woman lustfully, okay, even the reverse is true. He says, you've committed what? <laughs> so some of you, even if you say, me, I have kept myself. The moment you saw a brother and you say, Makate, Lepa, you're in trouble. <laughs> I told people, until holiness becomes a desire, beauty, until a man's pleasure is switched from the flesh to the spirit, that the satisfaction he can get from a beer, he will get it in the presence of God you will never find true deliverance until your pleasure is switched into the things of God. And the only way it can be done with is to deal with what arouses in you all manner of forbidden desires. Why do you think people fight the grace message? The devil knows. The moment somebody gets a hold of it, they are through. So, will he have any more candidates? 
You see, one thing people never understand this, and this is going to be as plain as I can put it. The law was not for men. The law was not created for you. It was not for you. Mm -mm, not righteous. For you. It was against, the law is against men. Then Jesus, why did you put it there? It is because God wanted to get you to a place where you could realize you can't, such that it takes over. But some people don't understand it. They're still under it. They say, now, God, I'm sorry I wronged you, but this time, ah, uh, I am done. If I do it again, kill me. Then they do it again. Then they come to God and they say, God, you're merciful. You're so good. In fact, you're not God, you're God. Then God looks at drama. He looks at them and they say, this time, God, now that you've preserved my life, I am so done. Then after a few days, bah! Then they come back again to his presence. Says, now, God, eh, I've spoken enough. You just watch. Watch. Then after some time, Bah! Then they come back again. This time they just carry a hunk. <laughs> then you find her melting affections of guilt and ignorance, and you think that the Holy Ghost is upon her. <laughs> then they weep until they feel like the tears are out. Then they say, I think he has forgiven me. Then they go back again. Then again it happens. This time they come to go and say, You know what? I think this is a thorn in the flesh. <laughs> Three times I bequeathed the father. I asked him, take this away. And he says, no, my grace is sufficient. <laughs> then they say, God is doing this to humble me. I think he saw that if I'm not humble. But where is the problem? Where is the problem? Oh. Hallelujah. The law is not there to tell you, let me help you. No. The law is there to tell you, you can't. And the quicker you realize it, the better. The quicker you realize it, the better. The law did its part. It's good, by the way. The law is not bad. Because for it, it tells you, you can't. If you believe it, it has done its part. So some of you think that the moment the law goes away, lawlessness, because in you is corruption. The Bible says, to the pure, all things are but to them which are undefiled, and I thank the Lord that he added the other word, and unbelieving, nothing is what? Because they are unbelieving. The beginning of defilement is when you stop to believe. He says, their mind and conscience is what? Is defiled. I want to show you something wonderful. So, somebody thinks it's lawlessness. And the man tells you of the book, he says, look, the law was the schoolmaster. Which led you to Christ. His simple work was simple. You can't. Christ can. You can't. Christ can. Don't you see that he knew no sin? You can't. Christ can. He said, wherefore, give me the amplified. The law served to us Jews as our trainer, our guardian, our guide to Christ. To lead us until Christ came. That we might be what? Justified, declared righteous, put in right standing with God by and through faith. And the next verse says... Uh -huh. But now, tell your neighbor, but now, that faith has come. We are no longer under a trainer, the guardian of our childhood. It's for babes. When they're children, they need the law. When you mature, you live it. He says, we are no longer, when faith came, the church was immature before the coming of Christ. When Christ came, the Bible is clear. We left the guardian. We got off from that guardian. Our Guardian, when we were children. Now we went to the guy that we have to deal with as mature people. Give me the message version of that. He says, the law was like those Greek tutors with which you are familiar, who escort children to school and protect them from danger or destruction, making sure the children will really get to a place they're set out for. But now you've arrived. The law took you to Jesus and told you he's there. He finished. Because the law could not help you. The Bible says, 
What the law could not do, in that it was weak, Christ did. This is scripture. What the law could not do, in that it was weak, Christ did. What the law could not do, what the law could not do, in that it was weak, through the flesh, God sending his only son in the likeness of sinful nature and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. The law couldn't, God sent who could. So how can you walk in what can't? Ephesians 2, verse 15. Give me the Amplified. Let's read. By abolishing in his own crucified flesh the enmity, listen, caused by the law with its decrees and ordinances which he annulled. Do you see that? Jesus didn't come to remove the law. By abolishing in his own crucified flesh, listen, the enmity caused by the law, that's okay, that's one part, with its decrees and ordinances, which he annulled. Now the word therefore law cuts across even to the book of Moses, the entity of the law and its content. Read the Greek translation. Some people say, no, he was talking about just the reasonable laws of don't eat meat, eat rice, but not the Ten Commandments. Come on, come on, come on. Read the Greek translations there. You're going to see that it also brings out the whole content of Moses, the book and its content, in its fullness, including the Ten Commandments. Ah, he was just talking about just these other laws, not the Ten Commandments. And you ask them, have you read it in the Greek? Ah, no, no, I haven't. But me, that's what I know. See, who told you? Some other man of God, you see? So let's continue. He says, by abolishing in his own crucified flesh the enmity caused by the law with its decrees and ordinances, which he annulled, that he from the two might create in himself one new man, one new quality of humanity out of the two, so making peace. That was the only way God would break the dividing wall. That was the only way. Colossians 2, verse 14. Read Amplified 2. He says, having counseled, having counseled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note, born with its legal decrees and demands which was in force and stood against us, hostile to us. You see, the law was hostile, hostile. A woman commits adultery, what do they do? According to the law. That was the hostility of the law. This note, with its regulations, decrees and demands, he set aside and cleared completely out of the way by nailing it to his cross. Why don't people understand Apostle, you have to put the balance. Don't just say, I have grace, grace. No, put the balance between the law and the grace. I tell him, look, there is no balance between grace and law. You're either under the law or under grace. There is no balance. In fact, the true teaching of the balance of the spirit is grow ye in grace. That's the true teaching. If a man still uses the grace as a license to sin, that man, it's not that the problem is the grace. The problem is he has not understood grace. When you understand it, it will teach you to denial and godliness. That's what it does. Somebody say amen. amen. In Romans 10, verse 1, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire is that Israel might be saved. That means they're not born again yet. By the way, many people under the law are not yet born again. They think they are. That's why he said, many shall say, Lord, Lord. And I say, I do not know you. For the Bible says, he cannot know thee unless you knew him. And how can you know him except if you are in oneness with him? In unity of the spirit of truth. Now the Bible says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer is that Israel might be saved. I bear them a witness that they have a certain zeal and enthusiasm to God. But it is not enlightened according to correct and vital knowledge. You see that? You can be excited but without correct and vital knowledge. And he says that for being ignorant of the righteousness that God ascribes, which makes one acceptable to him in what thought and deed, and seeking to establish a righteousness, a means of salvation, of their own, they do not obey or submit themselves to God's righteousness. And the Bible says, I love that, for Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law. The limit at which it ceases to be, for the law leads up to him, who is the fulfillment of its types, and in him the purpose with which it was designed to accomplish is fulfilled. That is the purpose of the law is fulfilled in him as the means of righteousness, right relationship to God for everyone who trusts in and adheres and relies on him. It is fulfilled. In Hebrews 8 verses 10, 
He says, and a new covenant I shall have with them. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, said the Lord. He says, I'll put my laws into their mind. There are no longer things for you. Don't do, you do this. No, it's in your system. And I will write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. Now, some people say, hey, but you said that they removed the law. No, listen, read again. My laws. Moses and Christ spoke different regarding the law. Jesus gave one law, love. And he says, I will put love in their hearts. And he says, when the man is in love, he can't do no wrong. And the Bible says, and by this shall men know that you're my disciples because you love the brethren. Love is the only qualification that we're disciples of God. We have a bigger law. Love. The only difference here is that now it's in our hearts. It's not telling us do. It's inside doing. Next verse. Give me the message. Of that, 11. They won't go to school to learn about me or buy a book called God in Five Easy Lessons. <laughs> I love that guy. They all get to know me first hand. Listen. They'll get to know me first hand, the little and the big, the small and great. And how do they know him? Next verse. Underline this. They'll get to know me by being kindly forgiven with their slate of sins forever wiped. How do men know God? When they are kindly forgiven. How do men know God? When they are kindly forgiven. And their slate is wiped clean. He knew that the only way a man can know me. Is if he first understands. I kindly forgive him. He will know me. But if a man expects my indignation and wrath upon him. He will never know me. He will relate with me out of duty. And not out of love. God doesn't want to relate with you like that tough father used to have who comes back in the evening and then you run in the bedroom to hide because you fear that he might check your legs or something and beat you up. No, God wants you to understand. Screw up, I will love you until you realize, eh, let me just chill this thing. Say so that when you're out of it, you're not out of it because you're struggling. No, it carries a certain beauty of relationship with him. Somebody say amen. Some people think that by scaring you in hell, they'll make you love God more. Let me tell you, it happened even in the book of Acts. Some man preached, you remember the story? He preached of the judgment of God. And the man said, he feared and said, I shall hear thee another day. He didn't come to salvation. But that's the same thing they are doing every day. Let me tell you, if we scare men into heaven, the devil will love them out. And that's what we are doing. They have to first watch a movie. Ah, heavens, what? Flames. Ah, okay, okay, I'm going to get a cube. You understand? So they enter that relationship of tutu, 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 fire. The fire will burn you. The fire will burn. They even sing it in their song. Fire burn them. Fire. So, so it's, it's fire, fire, fire. Listen, we know that there is fire. We are knowledgeable that there is hell. But listen, if you scare men into the kingdom, the devil will love them out. But if you love men into the kingdom, the devil will only try to scare them out. That's what he does. That's what he does. That's what he does. The Bible says that there is much forgiveness with him that they might fear him. Why do men fear him? You were taught the wrong way. He says there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayst be do you see why men are supposed to fear God? His forgiveness. What are we teaching? Wrath. Hey! Lightning can come from up there and strike you dead right now with that mouth of yours. I fear you. Let me tell you. Unless you have forgotten what happened to Israel, he beat them up, saved them into slavery caught them out and sent them up to the aliens, the Canaanites and Moabites, the Jebusites, raped their children, the Hittites plucked out their eyes. They went hungry and thirsty and were thrown in the mouths of dens of lions and they never loved him anyway. They never loved him anyway. The wrath of a man worketh not righteousness of God. God beat Israel until their backbone was literally smitten. They didn't love him more. They rebelled up to today. The church in Jerusalem is dead. And the Gentile church is alive. 
because Paul preached grace. And then somebody says, but why isn't my church growing? You're killing men. You're killing them every day. Some people, they come because they want you to speak what they want to hear. No, 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 no. No, no, no. In fact, if you read the scriptures on the men with itching ears wanting to hear, I can prove to you it's actually people who want to hear the law. Because it qualifies a man without God. They think that because you're so angry, let me tell you, it's like you marrying a man, eh? and then he beats you. Pray. Why don't you love me? <laughs> okay, I love you, I love you, I love you. You understand? That means from that day on, you're going to have a relationship that is plastic. That's why I tell couples, these couples who fight with each other, is it going to make him love you more? Is she going to love you more when you hurt her? I don't understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, some people think that God is like that. You should fear God. They think fearing God. Let me tell you, if I one time take time to describe for you fear, many of you realize you don't fear God. You worship him with your lips, but not with your heart. Listen, David killed a man, and God still called him a man after his own heart. It doesn't mean that God was promoting sin. No, but there's a reason why David didn't kill again another man to take his wife. There's a reason why that was the first and the last of it. Even in those weaknesses, God still told David, you're a man after my own heart. Today, somebody falls into it and says, ah, that's not a man of God. How could he do this? You see, some of you don't differentiate the state of a man's flesh and his spirit, but God does. And believe me, he perfects them. Because he wants to make everyone right. You think God wants you to know? The Bible is very clear. The zeal of the Lord shall perform this. God is too zealous for you to walk right eh, than you are. It's inside him to perform. He says, of the increase of his government, peace, there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to what? To order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice, from thence even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He has a zeal to order you, to put you in the right stand. God wants you right than you want yourself. So believe him as the author and the finisher of your faith. He will perfect that which concerns you. He will. He will. But they think that because God is angry, let me tell you, God can become as angry as he can. Even him, he knows his anger does not win men. That's why he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, he shall not perish, but have everlasting life. His heart is love. God wants to tell you, I love you more than they've presented me. I love you more than people present me. Somebody gets his anger, and then he calls it God's anger. But now see the contrast of how he forgiveth that they might fear him. How the Bible says that he will be kind to them and forgive them. The Bible says, and they shall what? Get to know him. To whom much is given, much is required. He says if they are forgiven much, they love much. They don't sin more. Uh -uh. But some people think, no, no, it's you. It's not them. Don't get into the hearts of men and judge them. Not everyone is abusing God's forgiveness. If you're born of an incorruptible seed, you can't. It's not a taking advantage issue. It's a nature issue. I'm born of an incorruptible seed. I can't love seed. And he says he'll forgive them. They'll get to know me by being kindly forgiven with a slate of their sins forever wiped clean. And the Bible says, by coming up with a new plan, a new covenant between God and his people, God put the old plan on the shelf and there it stays gathering dust. He's done with that plan. He has another one. Let me tell you, the love of God can get a man out of any sin. Thank God for his love. While the Lamb sits on
of your faith the law is come to an end now you carry one which knew no sin and his grace is available for you that word is going to work mightily in you not only in your body in your soul in your spirit in your relationships in your business in your ministry in everything that pertains to your life grace and love are available in Jesus mighty name come on give the Lord a mighty name of praise listen if you're here and you've never given your life to Christ repeat these words after me say Lord Jesus I believe with my heart that you died and rose again because you loved me and from today I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that your Savior and Lord of my life from today I'm born again in Jesus mighty name the message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International for more information contact us on telephone number 041 466 4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5pm to 8pm. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero, make manifest.